I love that that last song, Great Are You, Lord. That's actually one of Jess's favorite worship songs. Um, but it brings to mind a passage from Scripture that um, that actually is mentioned in this passage, which is the, the Genesis 2, the, the creation of men and women, the creation of humanity, where God breathes his breath into Adam's lungs, and that's what gives him life, and that's what continues to give us life, is the, is the breath of God um, within us, and and it means that all of life is a gift, isn't, doesn't it? All of life is given to us by, by the grace of God, and so we can receive it as such. Um, today, <laughs> today's passage is, is really fun. Uh, uh, it, it's so fun that people have written entire books just on this, this idea of what's called male headship it, it, is what, we'll, what we're going to be tackling in a, in, a, in a pretty important way today. Uh, people like our own Cindy uh, wrote a fantastic book that I was uh, that I had to read over a couple of times again this week just to prepare for this morning. Um, so Cindy, if I if I do violence to the text, I'm, uh, let me know. <laughs> um, but actually, I think this is a really important text. Something to remember about the the uh, early church is that the early church was fundamentally organized in the way that actually our church is going to be organized as we reopen, which is, uh, which is in regional sort of home churches, homes that people would gather in with their households, um, uh, in the inner location that, uh, and that those, ha those house churches were between 25 and at, at most, at most a hundred people, um, meeting, meeting literally in homes, sometimes in mansions, sometimes in just smaller places. And so the passage we're going to take a look at today is important because of that. In Paul's mind, uh, in the, uh, whatever way that households went, so went the church. In the same way that the Romans thought, however way the households went in the Roman Empire, so went the empire. Meaning, if households and families started to disintegrate, it would mean, in the, it would mean the, dis, the, dis, the, 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 the dissolving of the Roman Empire. And for Paul, if family relationships dissolve and break down, or, or probably better to say, if they don't look like Christ, it's going to show that the message of the gospel is false, and it's going to break down the church. This is why this passage is really important. Um, but I think that this is a passage that some people just don't want in the Bible. We look at it and say, boy, this has been abused quite a lot. And so we just would prefer that it not be in there. And some of us may just want to stay away from it because it's been really misunderstood. And, and, um, and I think that we can get over both of those, both of those, uh, those hurdles to this text. Yes, it has been abused. And so we want to approach it very carefully um, to be able to understand exactly what is it, what it's teaching. And here's, I'm going to fun and load what this passage is about. It's all about unity. This is what the message of Ephesians is all about. It's all about God bringing all things together in unity in Christ. And we're going to see this 
in this passage as well, that the mystery of the unity of the church and Christ as Lord gets brought up again and again and again. And it, it, it's, it's, it's at least strongly alluded to that marriage is this mysterious expression of the unity between Christ and his church. I'm going to say that again as my internet starts to crash and starts to get back. I'm going to say that again. Marriage is a mysterious expression of the unity between Christ and his church. This is why this passage is important. Also, this is why the church has tended to be very strong on any doctrine that, that, that talks about marriage because marriage isn't just about marriage in the church. It's also about the nature of the church and the nature of the relationship between Christ and his church. And if we start changing things about our doctrine of marriage, it's going to necessarily change our theology about what the church is and how it functions. This is why, uh, this is why the church has, has, has always defended marriage in the way that this passage describes um, so don't don't run past that. This is a, that's actually a really important point, and it makes it'll help you make sense of a lot of things that are that are that are happening in Christian circles that with, with regard to marriage and and um, whether it includes this passage or not, because that's what we're talking about. We're, when we talk about marriage, we're not just talking about marriage. We're also talking about the unity of um, of Christ and His Church. Yeah, so that's my internet. I I know that there is a there's some glitching. I'm gonna so when it when it glitches, I'll try to keep talking. But um, that just seems to happen. I'm not sure if everyone, if if everyone had this on Tuesday, but on uh, for us, our internet got cut for the entire day because of something that happened somewhere in the lower city, the um, a good portion of the downtown, including our apartment uh, and and the church actually, which is a couple of blocks away. Um. We, we didn't have internet, and our internet's been crazy ever since. It's, it goes up and down and sideways. So if if thing if my video if the video freezes, if it blacks out, but you can still hear my voice, it's because of my internet most likely. If things just stop, it's that's a that's a Facebook issue. Um, I'm going to read the passage so that we get a sense of exactly what we're going to be dealing with today. This is Ephesians chapter five verses 21 to 33. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up, grab a pencil. You'll want to, um, you, I'm sure many of you will want to take notes. And this is going to be a pretty direct sermon. There's going to be direct application um, by the end and that I think will, that will really challenge us. So, so prepare to be challenged. <laughs> Here's the passage. Ch uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing 
with water through the word and present to her present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish but holy and blameless in this same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself after all no one has ever hated their own body but they feed and care for their body just as christ does the church for we are members of his body for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh this is a profound mystery but i am talking about christ and the church however each one of you should uh, must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband and the household code continues we're actually going to split it up so right today we're going to talk about marriage and next week we'll talk about children which is the next section and then the week after we're going to talk about well maybe actually next week too we'll talk about slaves so you can expect to talk about slavery in the next couple of weeks um uh, a pretty relevant topic to really tackle biblically um in in our day and age which just god's word always does that <clears throat> consistently surprising you with its relevance which shouldn't really be a surprise this is a household code um, household codes were not rare i guess we could say in the ancient world this is something that different uh, people had tried to describe in different ways for different different time periods in, in the Greco-Roman culture. <clears throat> and it's always had the sort of purpose of, of trying to say, here's how, here's how the people in, in these, this relationship in the home, this is how they, this is how you should be relating to each other for the, for the, uh, not just preservation, but for the flourishing of the, the culture at large. And so in the in the Roman world we there was a there was a very strong patriarchy that is men were the leaders and everyone else was not and if you looked at other examples of household codes you would see men were treated as the ones who did all the actions all the acting and men acted upon women children slaves animals every, every, anything that fit within the realm of the household it was men acting upon those other people and those other people being acted upon and that's how the household codes tended to go notice this is not how paul's household code works you want so so we'll start from the beginning and work our way down and we'll notice that really quickly this is something strange that paul is doing that is unprecedented in the ancient world this is this might be one of the first times that that someone has tried to articulate a household code in this way and it almost certainly is the well i think i'm i think i'm i'm pretty confident in saying this is the first time in recorded history in the ancient world where someone developed a household code and said at its foundation you are to love each other sacrificially which is the which is what paul says at the end you each of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband telling husbands that the modus operandi of how you should relate to your wife is love 
is is not foreign to us. It was likely foreign to the people who originally heard this letter. It's groundbreaking. And I don't want to lose that groundbreaking sense. So so let's 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 pay attention to what's going on here because I think it has a lot to teach us today. First off, um, if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to circle something in this text. And we're going to we're going to start looking at this text more in detail by actually backing up a couple of verses. Those headings, I mentioned this last week, the headings that are in Bibles are added in to help us find um, different passages as we look through our Bibles. They are not in the actual Bible text. And so there's some sense with which we should just be ignoring them and reading passages without reference to those titles. This is a good example. Why? Because the, the verse 21 is connected grammatically to the previous verses, which you wouldn't guess based on how it's translated in English, would you? But it says in verse 18, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then there are all these words that describe exactly what happens when you are filled with the Spirit. And they're all connected grammatically. There's speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and there is singing with the with the and songs with, from the spirit. Great example of this. I was, I was reflecting on this this week. A great example of this are African-American spirituals. Go on YouTube and, and search them. They were these songs, these hymns based in scripture that, um, that slaves in the, in the deep South in America would sing to each other to remind themselves of the gospel and actually to, to give instructions about how to be freed, which is really interesting. There's some great examples of that. I'm going to post them on Facebook over the next week um, so we can, so we can share, share them together. They're, they're uh, really interesting and fantastic songs to worship to. Um, that's a little bit off, off point, though. Being filled with the Spirit means speaking in these hymns. It means singing, making music, the passage says in verse, uh, in verse 19. Make music from your heart to the Lord, and then always give thanks to the Lord. And then it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's all connected. Speaking, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to speak and sing and make music and give thanks and submit all to the Lord. All in reverence of who Jesus is and what he has done. So first thing, circle... In verse 21, it says, submit to one another. Circle that. That one another is meant for the entire church. So whether you're married or single, you know that whatever is coming afterwards is going to be applicable to you because it's going to describe something about what it means to submit to one another. This text sometimes gets read as all about male authority. And I think that would be a reasonable way to, I would find that the, the, a reasonable way to understand this text if it wasn't for this one verse. This verse actually frames the rest of what's to come. Submit to one another. What is, what is submitting? It is essentially voluntarily yielding in love. It is not blind obedience. It is not blind obedience. To submit to one another is essentially saying, I'm not going to wait to be ordered around. I'm going to seek to serve you. And Paul says, this is what the church should be. A bunch of people seeking to serve each other, not waiting 
for others to tell them what to do, but to seek to serve. And it starts in our households, which is why Paul goes into this household codes. If our households are places where we're constantly seeking to serve each other, that is going to form us and shape us into people who are constantly seeking to serve others. And that will, that will move out into our church, making our church a church of people who are seeking to serve each other in reverence to Christ, and then out into the rest of our world, seeking to serve the world in reverence to Christ. So this isn't just husbands and wives at this point. Everyone in the church is told, submit to one another. That's what's going to happen if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. You're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're going to seek to serve and yield to each other in love. But then he goes on to describe these household codes. Um, I should say this. That reverence for Christ part is really important because if you don't have reverence for Christ, if that is, if you are not submitting to Christ privately, you are never going to be able to submit to others publicly. You, you won't be ready for it. And I, I'm going to be maybe a little bit provocative in saying you, you're just not going to want to do it. But if you privately submit yourself to Christ, that private submission, that private voluntarily yielding to Christ primes you to be able to submit to other people publicly, whether that's your spouse or others in the church. If you never submit to Christ, you're, I'm going to, uh, if you have never submitted to Christ and if you never submit to Christ, you're probably going to hate everything that I have to say today. And that's just the way it goes. But Christ says, Submit to one another. If the Spirit's at work in you, submission, mutual submission is really important. Mutually giving way to each other and seeking to serve each other is important for the body of Christ to learn how to do. And it's all out of reverence for Christ. So if we have no reverence for Christ privately, we won't have it publicly. That's the, that's the bottom line. So if, you, if you're having trouble with today, I'm going to suggest that maybe this is, this is the place where you need to to start is asking how much reverence for Christ do I actually have? How much reverence for Christ do I actually have? Let's go on to the descriptions. First, for wives, um, Paul starts with wives and um, it's interesting that there's not, there's, this is not what you would expect. You would expect him in the ancient world to start with husbands and then work it, work his way through the rest of the household because the husbands were the ones who were um, in the in the cultural mind the most important one of the family instead he starts with wives and this teaching that he gives very clearly shows that he assumes that women have agency that is women have the ability to choose how they are to act so he says women submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. <clears throat> that is, seek to serve your own husbands as you do the Lord. Which suggests that they actually have a choice whether they're going to submit or not, whether they're going to seek to serve or not. Women have a choice about how to live, which is unlike anything that, that exists in other passages, uh, other, other texts in the ancient world. 
But this is a consistent theme throughout the Bible that women have agency to choose. And it's really quite empowering. Um, very subtly, we look at this and say, oh, how could Paul write this? But this is a, a subtly empowering text. He says, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Of which he is the Savior. He grounds everything that he is saying to both husbands and wives in this idea of Christ as the head of the church and, and creating an analogy out of that for marriage. And this is where a lot of debate about this passage is focused on. What does Paul, what is Paul talking about when he talks about Jesus being the head and, and men or husbands being the head of their wives? Um, and there are two ways to take this, uh, because head could mean essentially authority that, that, that men are the authority over their wives, just as Christ is the authority over their church. We actually have already seen an example of this use of the word that's, that's used here by Paul, caliphe, um, in Ephesians one chap, uh, Ephesians chapter one, within verses 20 to 23, where Paul talks about how Christ is the head or the authority over all of creation. But interestingly, within that, it's, it's all, he's, he's the head over all of creation for the church. And there's this sense that actually the church partners with him in his authority over all of creation, that we co-rule with Christ, to put it in biblical terms. We've already seen, that is to say, that, that head as authority is one way of reading this. But you could also read head as source. And we see this in a, just the previous chapter in verses, uh, in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, we see Christ as the head of the church and as head of the church is the one who is responsible for the church's growth and health. <clears throat> so, caliphate, head, could mean authority, it could mean source. Just based on where this passage is and what it's trying to describe, I think that it's more likely that it's trying to that Paul is using this phrase head as meaning source, as meaning, um, as meaning that 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 the church comes from and and uh, Christ is responsible for his church, and I say this because of this little addition that Paul adds at the end of verse twenty three, of which he is the savior, of which he is the savior, which is a strange addition unless Paul is trying to remind the woman that Jesus is the source of the church's very life through his atoning death and through his resurrection, through his being the savior of the church. And in the same way that the church submits to Christ, women are to submit to their husbands. That is the church receives all that Christ gives it for its good and in response, humbly seeks to serve Christ, even as it's being served by Christ. That is, the, that is the picture of the church that we get again and again in Scripture. So don't miss this picture of unity. If Christ is the head, the church is the body, and there's a profound unity in that, that they actually can't be separated. If you decapitate the body, you kill both parts, in a sense. If husband... If the husband is the head, 
then the wife is the body, and they are described as one flesh, which Paul is going to point to when he talks to husbands. And then he makes this uh, further point. As the, tr- as, the, yeah, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should t- submit to their husbands in everything. Um, and if they are one flesh, it means that when a wife submits to her husband, when a wife seeks to serve her husband, it is as though she is submitting to herself. It is as though she is caring for herself. Now, here's the thing. The woman probably knew this. There's a, there's a good body of evidence to, to say that um, the women were the ones who were doing the, the service jobs within their households. They were, they were consistently the ones who were preparing food, who were rearing the children, who were, who were uh, washing and, and, and just providing a culture of welcome and hospitality within homes. So this is all a good reminder for them of who they're called to be as wives in their household that they are to seek to serve their husbands just as they seek to serve the Lord. Um, But this idea of service is going to be totally foreign to the men. And so here's the interesting part, right? So the, the, the instructions on wives in this passage are three verses long. The instructions for husbands are eight verses long. And yet we always focus, the, the church always focused on the woman part because for reasons I don't really know. Um, this, this passage is, this, so this passage is, has laid out that wives submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord, seek to serve them in all they do. They, the, a husband is the source for the wife. That the, the a husband is, and and we're gonna. It's good. The pastor is going to describe exactly what that means in a second. Um, but essentially, it's it's saying like you're one flesh. If women are the body doing doing these serving actions, then the the husbands are the are the head, and as such, you are seeking to serve each other in unity, in unity. So he starts by laying this out for women and then moves on to men. And if we, if we think that maybe this passage actually should be describing head as authority, we, I think we'd expect then Paul to describe men's relationship to their wives in authoritative, ter- in th- in authoritative terms. And this is just not what happens in this passage. Like, not even close. Instead, Paul doubles down on submission as being not just something that wives do for their husbands. It's something that husbands must also do for their wives. And this is where uh, this prophetic edge of the text starts to come out. Yeah, that, yeah, thank you, Cindy. Head and the body of Christ are both enthroned. They ha- both have positions of authority in the church, just as... Uh, Within the household, there's the, there's a sense of husbands and wives working together, enthroned over this over. Uh, this is maybe extending the metaphor, but they're enthroned in authority over this little community of theirs that they that they build up with child rearing. Um, they both have authority, just gets expressed in different ways, and it's always used in service of one another, so that they can build build each other up and build each up build each other up in the Lord. Um, Here's, here's what I'm going to say. So wives have 
intended to actually just know this um, know this t culturally that they are called to 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 seek to serve their husbands their families just as they seek to serve the Lord I'm not so sure that husbands have known this I'm not so sure that this is the easiest teaching for husbands to receive so husbands I'm gonna speak to you directly and I'm gonna speak to you really forcefully now because this passage is going to highlight something for us that uh, that your marriage depends on and that the church depends on that as our households go so will go our church and if our wives seek to serve us and we do not seek to serve our wives it is a disservice to them and it's a disservice to to the church and it's and it's a witness to the world that the gospel is not true if we don't live this out, the church is doomed. So let's take a look at what this has to say for husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. And this is a... This is, this is interesting, right? So he starts by saying, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her even unto death. He died for her. He set her apart as holy. He cleansed her by the washing with water through the word. He presented her as holy and blameless. And it's all what men are supposed to do for their wives. Love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, set her apart, uh, be willing to die for her, set her apart, cleanse her by the washing of, with water through the word, which I'll, which I'll talk about in a second, to be able to present her holy and blameless. This is how, not just the, this isn't just what Christ has done for the church. This is what then husbands are supposed to pattern for their wives. And it goes on to, to talk about this. Uh, saying, love your wives just as you love your own body. Love your wives uh, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, as their own bodies, not just in the way that they would treat their own bodies, but treat your wives as though they were part of you, as though they were an extension of your body, that you were, that you were actually connected, one flesh. Who to thunk it? He who loves his wife loves himself. He who loves his wife loves himself. Love your wives just as you love your own body because you are one flesh. And just so you don't understand, Paul goes on to describe exactly what this means. It means feeding your body. It means caring for your body. It means providing for the needs of your body. Essentially, it means being the source of your body's life. For, for your marriage, it means feeding your wife, caring for your wife, providing for her needs, essentially being the source of her life in a sense. This is what, this is what Paul's driving towards. And it's the exact same way that Christ has related to his church. This is radical. The first time when someone has ever said, husbands, you need to sacri sacrificially love your wives. And... Paul says it by using womanly language, I think we could say, um, in relation to the church, which men are a part of, right? So he starts, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. 
and the men are part of the church. And then how does Paul describe that relationship between Christ and his church? It's all through these, 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 um, these descriptions of sort of womanly things of washing and feeding and dressing in a wedding ground and being getting ready for the marriage bed is essentially what what's being described here. There is this sense that sense that uh, that that Jesus is doing all these things to prepare uh, his bride for their wedding day. All of that pushes us to say submission that is serving each other in 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 humble, humble and loving ways, is not wimpy, it's Christ-like. It is the way that men and women were designed to be in relationship within the context of their marriages and in the context of the church. This is how we're called to relate to one another. <clears throat> I think all of this is leading up to this this particular point that's really made in that in those verses 26 and 27 um, husbands being married to you should make your wives more Christ-like and this is the onus on you now being married to you should make your wives more Christ-like being married to you they should experience Christ's love through you they should know Christ's word because you read it and talk about it and wrestle it with her. You should always be reminding her of the gospel, that, that the gospel is the only thing that's actually able to set her apart as holy and blameless in the sight of God. And you should protect her, provide for her, nurture her, and serve her in every way. You must love her as yourself. And in doing those things, you're actually going to be humbly yielding to her in love. This is what submission looks like for men. Um, sharing Christ's love in practice, re wrestling with God's word with your wife, reminding her of the gospel, protecting her, providing her, nurturing her, nurturing your relationship. This is what you're called to do as her head uh, in the functioning of your marriage according to God's design. And this design is analogous to the, the, the design of the church, with Christ as our head and the church as Christ's body, unified mysteriously and, and, and together having authority over the cosmos, which is that Ephesians 1 passage. But there's an issue now in, in just how the world works today, that we're marred by sin. I think that you could probably come up with all sorts of examples, even in your own mind, where this description of husbands and wives loving each other as Christ loved the church actually just didn't work out in practice. People didn't live up to it. Christians didn't live up to it. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because that's the narrative of scripture, that we were created to be in unity, but in the fall, in, in humanity beginning to sin, we were led to the breaking of that unity and to having authority over each other. That's actually, if you look back in Ephesians, in um, Genesis 3, this development of men hoarding authority over women starts with the fall. It's a, it's a part of the curse. But then we're redeemed by grace through faith in Jesus. And so we serve each other in Christ. 
And we have to realize we are being redeemed now, but we are still going to sin. We're going to experience many falls in our marriages of times where we hurt each other. But we need to be quick to repent and quick to forgive. And as other married couples in house in the household of God, we need to be quick to be able to step into situations and say, hey, you're not living up to the the way that scripture says your marriage should be functioning. If we see, let's say, I'm going to bring up a, I'm going to bring up a, a hypothetical example. If we, if we see within our church, someone, a man, a husband who's abusing his wife, the church should be the first to say, yo husband, that's not okay. And to step in between them and to support the wife and to rebuke the husband so that they can be reconciled together. Uh, hopefully in, in Christ and the gospel. And if that's not the case, then to, to continue to support them, uh, particularly that, that, that woman. We're, we were created, we fall, we're redeemed, and then eventually we are going to be restored, where we're not just going to serve each other, we are going to bow together in worship, unified in Christ. And so it's, I think it's here where we see this isn't just applicable to married couples, um, I think marriage, we can say, preaches to us the shape of the gospel, of the unity of the things that are to come, but not everyone is in marriage. In the church, we're told that we must all submit to the same head, which is Christ. And so whether we're married or not, we're still submitting to each other. And if we're single, we could, if, if you're single, you can speak into marriages in the, because you're part of the church, because you are submitting to Christ. And, um, uh, and, and actually teach about the sufficiency of the gospel in your singleness and teach and help teach what submission to Christ looks like that other people can emulate, which is a powerful, uh, which is a powerful witness. And it's a witness that the church needs. This passage teaches us just as much about the church as it does about marriage. That it's, it's, te it's taught us that, that church is the place where we submit to Jesus, that we're washed by his word, that we're reminded of his gospel, and that we're taken care of by Jesus through the, uh, the loving service of other people in the church. And in the church, we are all Christ's bride. And so that should set our expectations for what the church is, that we're constantly submitting to Jesus and serving each other in that, that we're, we, we are washed by his word, that we're reminded of his gospel and that we take care of each other. That's what we are called to do as Christ's bride. But there's, I think, still very practical application for husbands and wives that, um, that will, that I'll push into. And all of this comes out of the, this initial teaching, all of the, all the reflections that Paul has given here, all the teaching comes out of this one place. If you're filled with God's spirit, it is going to lead you towards submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's the entire church, not just husbands and wives. It's the entire church. The church should be that place where no one asks, well, how can I serve? It should actually be the place where everyone is eager to serve and coming up with ideas and seeking opportunities to love one another sacrificially. But we get taught that in our houses, in our households. And so wives, here's the teaching, respect your husbands, 
seek to serve them and whatever they can offer, receive it with thanksgiving. And if you're in a place where your husband is not loving you as Christ loved the church, it is the church's responsibility to step in there and help. And so let us know. Husbands, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be really forceful on this, as Paul, I think, is being forceful. Husbands, man up and submit to your wives. Man up and seek to serve your wives as Jesus has served his church. It is your responsibility to show your wives Jesus's love for them, to share with them God's word, to remind them of the gospel, and to provide and nurture for them. So don't just read this passage. Act on it. This is who you are called to be. Strive to live it out alongside other men. And this, I, for whatever reason in our culture, it's just, this is just really hard for, for, for men to do. And I wonder, I, well, I don't know what that's about. But if we need to help each other learn how to serve one another and serve our wives, then we are going to do it. If we need to start a men's Bible study, we will do it. If we just, if I've, I just found an app that helps you track your, your Bible reading with other people. If we want to do that in the church, let's do it and take this seriously because this isn't just about the church. This is about, well, this isn't just about our marriages. This is about the health of the church. We need to take this seriously. Wives and especially husbands, because if the husbands of our church do not do what this passage instructs, it means that we are never going to know the blessing that God has for our marriages and for our church. So wives, respect your husbands, but husbands, man up and seek to serve your wives as Christ serves his church. Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for this teaching of, um, of, of mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. Uh, Father, first I pray that you would give us a deepening reverence for Jesus. And in our relationship with him, give us a sense of his greatness and his power and his, his uh, might and the, and the greatness of his forgiveness for us. And help that to draw us into deeper relationship with him so that we can be formed and shaped by him. I pray for the, the women and the wives of our church that they would be uh, blessed in seeking to serve their husbands as they do the Lord. And for our husbands and men, I pray that you would galvanize our hearts to seek to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. Help us as, as men and as husbands to really take this idea of this one flesh union extremely seriously, that as the head over our wives, as the source, we have a responsibility to ensure that our wives are continuing day by day to look more and more like Jesus because we are loving them so well. Father, I pray this over our households, over our families, that our, uh, our households in our church would be ones where people would look in and see the love of Jesus being expressed in how we serve one another. And may our households be a witness to your gospel and to this, this beautiful picture 
of Christ and his bride, the church that is painted in this passage today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.